Hi folks, this is Alan Watt at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and today it is December the 27th, 2006. of the year, the last few days of the year, with the final commercial stampede, with all the Boxing Day specials in the big cities, where the herd trample over each other to get all the goodies that they've been after for the last few months, uh, just waiting and camping outside to get in for a, a cheap VCR or DVD player or something that's going to fall apart in the next few months. It's always interesting to, to when you live in the country because you, you still, in this nice antiquated way, we take our garbage to the dump. And some of the dumps, some of the better dumps, and the higher class dumps, you see, uh, like the one outside Sudbury, um, they have a sort of booth there where they, they collect the better stuff that's been dumped and they have tables laid out where you can pick bed bunks or whatever you happen to need and get them for two or three dollars uh, sometimes you also get the VCR players too I've never bought one in fact for years I think I've got five downstairs it cost me about a dollar each most of them just need the heads cleaned and there you have a, a, a decent player as decent as you can get new anyway And that's where you find all the all the hard-earned stuff that's that put their money and their their hopes into this, this, these rewards that end up in the garbage dump because they're either antiquated or they're just bored with them. It's a funny a funny thing to hear when people say they're bored with something. It used to be just um, a, a womanly thing with her clothes. She'd get bored with them, or she'd worn them too often. And she was afraid of criticism by her peers, at least in the upper classes. But now people actually get bored seeing the same... How can you get bored seeing the same TV set every, every day? Uh, you think you get bored with the programs that were on the TV. Or maybe that's the, the function of it. Maybe it, it destroys part of your brain, so you, uh, you, you need some more stimulus or something. 
a higher resolution to make you very very resolute in your idea or the ideas it's programmed into you. But I think too that for Christmas time, for many many people, it's a relief to have it over and done with, and the perfunctory meetings with family and in-laws and the same old stories are repeated over and over and people gorge themselves it, it wouldn't be so bad in the times when food especially good food was scarce for most people it perhaps had a function then but today in the, the time of plenty it, it doesn't make much sense so and we're glad that it's over and uh, Orion's belt the three wise men have, have followed their little star into the horns of the moon on the the longest night of upper winter the nights should start getting longer for the sun that is bit by bit, day by day Hallelujah, of course, comes from Hal, the sun the same name as a computer on 2001 and it means literally, Hallelujah means the sun, the S-U-N is risen and thank goodness for that, we'll all be freezing a bit longer and we'd all be profane, meaning we'd all be in the dark Tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about what I talked about last week. I mentioned we would find more and more little reports coming out in different countries on the same theme of brain chipping the public as a form of conditioning us into the inevitability and perhaps the desirability of having this done to us. In Britain, because they're a little bit more arrogant near the old school, they want to go to the old, the old granite stone universities, as they like to call them, as opposed to the red brick universities for the working people. It's the, the, the granite stone ones where you find they meet their contacts for, their, for their, the rest of their life, because they'll all be involved in high finance, in politics, and bureaucracies. And I've no doubt this particular reporter from The Guardian uh, probably has been there because he's got the arrogance to match. He's very short-sighted too because it doesn't dawn on him that once everyone's chipped, they, they won't need reporters. In fact, they won't need news of any kind or propaganda really is what it is. And he'd be out of a job. But like most higher masons, they're very short-sighted They they don't see past their own lives and to the effects on their own children. A very selfish attitude that I'm all right, Jack, originated in Britain. This particular article appeared uh, on December the 24th, 2006. And I got this from uh, an email from one of our listeners. The reporter is Will Hutton, and that would be the, the Observer in London, no doubt. 
And this is what he says. And listen to the way that he says it. It has the arrogance of Huxley. And the short-sightedness too, as I say, of people who don't really see uh, the end of the story. He begins here. When words fade, it is the great ideas and arguments that move the world on. John Maynard Keynes couldn't bear the practical men and women who forged economies and societies by getting their hands dirty and mocking the thinkers. All he said were, in truth, slaves to some intellectual theorist or philosopher, usually dead, who had given them their lines. He was right. We need an intellectual compass to make sense of reality around us. Now you can listen to the Masonic terms all through this blurb here. And John Maynard Keynes was no genius. He was put there by the big boys because they wanted him there. That's what that's what his job was. And nothing is authorized in the system and alters it without permission from the top. And uh, and Maynard Keynes, if you read his writings, was one of the most arrogant people you could possibly meet. He said that he hated all tradition. He hated all forms that were written down by culture. And his job was to break them and destroy and trample on them. Uh, a man could not get away with that unless he was told his lines and he followed them. They continue. And yet the ideas that illuminate and change our lives are hard to spot amongst the turkeys. Arguments need not only to be insightful, but they have to be useful. After a year of reading, watching, and listening, here are five ideas that meet those criteria, all produced by people very much alive and kicking. There are five ideas, five, you have five points to, there I think, that I think have moved humanity forward in 2006. YouTube and the new web community. Predictions that the net was going to change everything have proved wrong until now. So argues influential web guru Tim O'Reilly. Web 1.0 was the first phase when we used it as little more than a vast library and efficient messaging system. We surfed from website to website and sent me emails to each other. But now we are in the era of Web 2. A new architecture, architecture is emerging, which allows people to connect with each other in revolutionary ways. Hence blogging or YouTube, where users post and exchange videos they have taken themselves. The mushrooming of participative and enabling sites such as MySpace, Wikipedia, Skype, Flickr, Facebook, Second Life, and so on are all part of the same trend. This is but the precursor of Web 3, when the architecture will become yet more sophisticated. Search engines will no longer list data, they will answer your questions. Web 3 will mean that the web becomes a permanent part of our consciousness, conversation, and cognition. Ultimately, a chip in our brain will connect us in real time to the entire web, adding immeasurably to the power of memory. 
is your sales pitch for the schmucks. Immortality is on its way. They are going to give you immortality. If Web3 stretches the limits of the possible inventor, entrepreneur and author Ray Kurzweil goes into realms of apparent fantasy. Moore's Law, named after George Moore, co-founder of Intel, predicts that computing power will double every year. Kurzweil pushes the logic to its conclusion. Chip power is growing to so exponentially that by the late 2020s there will be sufficient cheap computing power to reproduce every single minute function of the, brain, the human brain. Kurzweil sounds crazy, but his track record of predictions over 20 years has been eerily accurate. Maybe that's because he belongs to the think tank where all these authors get their, their marching orders from. Because that's exactly how it's done. Machines and human beings, he argues, are on a convergent course. Machines will increasingly assume human characteristics and humans the facilities of machines. Kurzweil even dares to believe that via three eyebridges, bioengineering, artificial intelligence and new food, human beings will keep death at bay. Chips in our brains and bodies will freeze the aging process and via their successors to Web3 ensure that everyone will be at the frontier of knowledge. Now, this is aimed really at the young uh, lawnmower man movie type generation who have been brought up with cartoons with their favourite characters uh, having chips in them and having superpowers. You always give a sales pitch to make the schmucks want. That's the big thing about a con. The victim and the con must participate fully and want, in a sense, to be conned. We have the same people at the top, the same people at the top, who've been talking about culling us off down to a manageable level of efficiency. And here they are giving the sales pitch that, that immortality is just going to be handed out to everyone. And I hope no one falls for that one. And now he continues with his Huxleyan sales pitch. Happiness is what counts. For two or three decades, economists and philosophers have questioned whether technology and rising wealth automatically mean greater well-being. They do it for us, you see. We're not, we don't participate, so we need philosophers and economists to do this for us. And, and what's economists doing in here, you see? There's your key right, right away. What's that got to do with it? In 2006, we finally realized that we were too inattentive to what makes us happy. A crucial step forward. My goodness, I wonder how much they paid them to come to this repetitive conclusion that they've been spilling to us since about the 1950s. Happiness is about earning the esteem of others, behaving ethically, contributing selflessly to human betterment, and assuaging the need to belong. We have finally understood it is not economic growth that delivers these results. It is the way we behave. It's interesting, even the Queen, you see the British Commonwealth countries, we still get the Queen's blurb on Christmas and scattered in there by her scriptwriters, you have the key words, and ethics was in there too, I think. 
and, and behavior and uh, a few other scattered words. And you can see how these coordinate all these little uh, blurbs in the newspapers, on the media, all coalesce together. They're all coming from the same source because that's what guides our thinking for us. It's already been done for us. Our topics, our, our conclusions are even given to us. And as he says here, as I say, happiness is about earning the esteem of others. Is it really? Really? Maybe amongst a certain class it is. And behaving ethically, well, ethically is very vague because ethics keep changing. We have bioethic committees now that sprung up when the body part industry suddenly came on the go. And they were just suddenly there, you know. You had, you had specialists in bioethics and genetics who would decide for us um, how far to take all this and, and how to get the public to go along with it without saying too much. That wasn't too difficult, mind you. And the need to belong. Well, belong to what? See, partly they're right there because in a tribal instinct, people want to belong to the tribe and, and be the same as the rest of the tribe as far as dress goes and, and codes go and so on. But today we have a small group, which is growing too, though, of people who are far more aware of the management techniques that we've all been accustomed to throughout our whole lives and we know where it's going we know we're being manipulated and we don't want to belong to the, to the ones we've left anymore and we, we can't belong to them in fact we're strangers to them and we are strangers to them but we, but we don't want to go along with the elite either see the elite have talked for years about giving themselves eternal life that's all part of their great work, as they call it, for themselves. In their ancient religion, in books which were published in the 1700s for each other, because they were the only ones that could read then outside the priesthoods, they talked about um, this religion quite a lot, and how their spirits were different from the, the common spirits, you know, the common souls, we're just souls. Your poor old souls, actually. I've got boots like that. And they talk about how they have spirit and how they were a superior type that were sort of imprisoned here or cast here and how they created their first human bodies to inhabit through forcing by pure willpower the earthly materials to create the bodies which still retain special powers but by inbreeding with the commoners they began to lose them Hence the need for genealogies and back to inbreeding again. That's what they used to give us as a, as a story. Uh, no doubt to impress us and make us go, wow. Because if, you, if they'd say they're special, even in a negative sort of way, and we believe it, then we're putting ourselves in an inferior position. And they've used these techniques from ancient times. You'll find the Ptolemies, for instance. Uh, Ptolemy, who was uh, a general under Alexander, ended up sort of inheriting as part of the boot, the booty, or the looty, <laughs> the may call it, the loot, um, Egypt. And traditionally in Egypt you had to be descended from the pharaohs to get the job. Uh, so he had a dream, with the permission of the priests that he'd bought off, 
and and he told this, this to the, the priest, of course, and he kept his lines, read his lines well. And so the previous pharaoh's spirit came to him in a dream and said, it's okay, old boy, uh, you're really one of us. And that was good enough to get the job as top pharaoh. So they, they sell this, these ideas to the public that they're special and different. And after a few generations, people do believe they're gods, you see. And they tell us all kinds of fantastic things to make us believe it. And strangely enough, the more fantastic the story has always found, the more people want to believe it, kind of like reptilians and stuff. Uh, so I'll continue with this, this Guardian talk. David Cameron caught the mood by saying that the object of the next Tory government, Tory is conservative over there, would be greater well-being. The Observer published Professor Richard Laird's depression report, arguing that because one in six of us suffers from anxiety or depression, no kidding, eh? The greatest contribution the government could make to promoting well-being is to prioritize improvement of mental health care. Now, here's your abuser going to promote your well-being, the government. The government, most people in Britain who are brought up in, uh, couldn't believe the socialistic, bureaucratic system of Britain. It was big brother to the extreme, from school onwards. And here they are worried about your, your, your well-being. If most of the government disappeared, people would suddenly become very healthy because they wouldn't be so darn anxious about not going to have enough money to pay all the things they have to pay to government to keep an a, a, a incredible bureaucracy living in a standard of living way above everybody else. You know, Hamilton gets whacked Hamilton of the, the era of Washington just after gets whacked for for making a statement and he was a banking boy and he said it's sometimes better to have one king than, than a whole government of petty kings meaning he only had one to feed with his extravagances and his family and sometimes you get a bad one in a generation but the next one might be better. And it goes back and forth like that. Whereas with the government, you have all the sharks at the top uh, looting the honey jar. Because the only honey jar there is, the big pot, is from the taxpayer. It's the biggest pot there is on the planet. It's the biggest lotto. And they all want to get their hands into it. So it attracts that type who give themselves incredible pay raises every year. This is government for you completely corrupt and out of touch with well they're not out of touch they're, they're perfectly perfectly aware of what they're doing and they're talking about anxiety and depression now Huxley did the same thing this is almost verbatim from Huxley you can tell it's the same people uh, that have consistently run this part of the agenda who's told this guy what to say in his his Guardian report because it hasn't changed but what Huxley failed to say too is the system itself is what causes the anxiety and the depression because there's no security whatsoever in the system. It's not meant to keep you secure. The system is not there to serve you. 
is there to control you and to fleece you. So in governments, when you prioritize the improvement of mental health care in double-speak language, it means everyone is going to be tested continuously. And that's exactly what the President of the U.S. said a couple of years ago. He wanted everyone to have psychological testing. Then they'll really know you inside out, you see. We are independent, stupid. This is the next part of the same blurb. For more than a decade, neoconservatives and Eurosceptics have denounced every shackle on national sovereignty. Neoconservative is an interesting term because it's written almost for the US, that term. When Margaret Thatcher came in, they were the progressive conservatives. That was when you first heard it. And then neoconservative crept into the US because it's all coalesced together. It's all the same bunch, actually. And Eurosceptics have denounced every shackle on national sovereignty. And 2006 was the year they lost their self-confidence. Part of the story was the unfolding disaster in Iraq. Even the U.S. began to accept that allies have uses. The news that the Iraq war could cost the U.S. taxpayer as much as $2 trillion with no one to share the burden was immensely sobering. Here we go, economics again. But all wars boil down to the same thing. One of the central tenets, tenets of the Iraq study group set up by President Bush to review the U.S.'s options in Iraq was that the U.S. would have to talk to Iran and Syria if it wanted to withdraw in good order from Iraq. In Britain, even Eurosceptics like the Tory leadership and acolytes of Gordon Brown began to make more soothing noises about the EU. Globalization makes countries more interdependent. These are the same buzzwords. Oh, wasn't it Lenin that said we shall win by slogans? You know, just re- repetition. You see, that's all it is. Perhaps after a decade of interference, there's about to be a great leap forward. Oh, there's your Masonic term again, the great leap forward. Mm. Building bridges and stuff. None of this matters if we fry. Oh, very, very clever. How witty. How witty. I can imagine them tittering in the Ivy League college he went to. Campaigners have been dotily insisting for decades that the explosion of carbon particles in the atmosphere is associated with a rise in temperatures, but the combination of 2006 being the warmest year on record in a series of epic reports, notably Al Gore's book, his ghost-written book, Al Gore, who's now in charge at the UN for this whole pollution thing, and film an inconvenient truth meant that only conspiracy theorists, oh, conspiracy theorists, see, anyone who disagrees is now a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. I like the part about cons piracy, cons, the priest's piracy. They love this, they love this terminology. Theo, you know, theorists could carry on believing that the earth is not warming. There's not a mention of the fact that they stepped up the spring on a global level uh, last year. There's never been so much uh, smog coming down from the skies, this polymer stuff. And I get reports from all over the planet and the pictures, and they're just the same as the ones I take here. It was a beautifully presented argument that began to change the minds of Americans. There were dark arguments in 2006, 
among them a generalized fear of the foreign other. But the force of ideas expressed above will, I feel, carry us forward, and that has cause enough for celebration. Well, I hope he lines up to be the first for his chip. Because, uh, as I say in Britain, once once you've done it, you've had your chips. When I grew up, it was just fish and chips. And, of course, the chip is called the chip because it's a Masonic term. Because it's a chip off the old block. And the old block is that thing in the temple which they all go round in circles about. And you'll hear them telling each other, I've been round the block a few times and a whole bunch of expressions, if you listen carefully. So there you have it, the same old mantra, repetition, repetition, same mantra for all the years I've been alive, and before I was born, because I've always known where they were going with this. And that's all it takes is repetition, so that your father gets his opinions from the same source repeating to him and he gives them to you and then you hear it in the world around you and it becomes your opinion and you think well yeah how, how great you were all so darned anxious and and so worried about things let's just put brain chips in our heads how why didn't we think of that before amazing isn't it rather than say what is it that causes people to be so anxious what's wrong with the system now, instead of looking at economics and the governmental system, they bring in the economists to decide for us. How clever, eh? It's kind of like bringing in the mass murderer to find out why people kill others. No different at all. But this is the world in which we live. It's a completely managed economic system always been this way actually well at least for what they call the beginnings of civilization which is their code term for their system when the one way or another encouraged the masses to serve the few and to keep them in a standard and style of life way beyond anyone within the masses Britain, as I say, is a classic example of this feudal system. It still came out of the feudal system. This whole class system of what was right and wrong and mind your place. And when I was growing up, you heard terms like that, mind your place. So much for equality. And all through the industrial era, people were dying like flies when they got herded off the land into the cities by a law is being passed and the dumping of foreign grain by another law put out by Lord Rothschild at the time, which all the small farmers under. Then they moved off into the cities and the, the big manufacturing cities which which were thrown up 
with all this almost cage type dwellings for the people to live in if you call it living this mass exodus from the, the country to the city where they were managed and labor was dirt cheap that's part of the reason why they had to get them in not just to man the factories when you have an overabundance of labor then the wages plummet and the profits go up dramatically the carts which used to bring out the dead for plagues were used every day in those big cities around the working areas in the days of Benjamin Franklin and after him when he visited England and they would just dump all the bodies because they were worked 16 hours a day minimum men, women and children to manufacture things as Franklin said himself like shoes which they couldn't afford to buy themselves and he watched factories empty out shoe factories empty out and sure enough they all, they all had bare feet this was the great industrial age of Britain Then, when it, and they knew precisely how long it would last we're dealing here with people who work in centuries and centuries ahead and after World War II immediately at the end of World War II a bureaucracy was set up to manage the integration of Europe that's now admitted to and for 50 years lied to the public about it deny, deny, deny and they also set up bureaucracies to deindustrialize and bureaucracies that would handle the massive welfare system that would just keep the people barely ticking over as factory after factory closed and moved we saw the same thing on a, a, a lesser scale in the United States and Canada in the 80s and through the 90s mainly as a, an offshoot of GATT and under, the, under the general agreement on trade and tariffs which is managed by a star chamber by the way the public have no input whatsoever the taxpayers of North America funded every big name brand corporation to move to China and under that agreement the taxpayers paid for all presumed losses up until the time they would be up and in full production isn't that a sweet deal and yet Joe Average who lived through that that period uh, suddenly saw things like made in China appear in the shelves and because the media made no deal about it whatsoever didn't mention it just like the trails in the sky it never, it never asked the questions as to why is, why is this happening why are things getting made in China now years ago I noticed that the universities in Canada were full of foreign students mainly Chinese and I thought and I did inquire out of curiosity I say I have curiosity about things I said why would they be 
why are the commun why are we training communist students who are going back to China? Our supposed arch enemy that's supposedly going to destroy us, according to all the propaganda that was fed during the Cold War. And after reading all the books by the communist leaders, at least ghostwritten for them, just like Al Gore's book here about the global warming. And I noticed that most of the students, these Chinese students, were going into engineering courses. And I thought, well, why? Because they don't have the big factories in China. And they've been doing this for 20-odd, 30 years. Well, this was all in preparation for them taking over. Because someone somewhere knew, and quite a few people obviously did, that one day all the factories were going to move to China. It was just the schmuck public who didn't know. And no one was going to tell them. But if you do a little bit of inquiring, it's amazing how you can you can come to the right conclusions long before anyone else does. Especially when you're thinking for yourself and not waiting for a media to give your thoughts to you. I've said many times that domesticated animals are so inbred and domesticated it means that they don't react to with their survival mechanisms to changes within their environment that's the difference between wild animals natural animals and domesticated ones they sense things they watch anything that's different from their, their track that they go around every night on their journey on the rounds, anything that's in the way or different, they'll stop and stare at it and look at it from a hundred angles before they continue, if they continue. But humanity has lost the ability to discern for its own survival what's going on. And it's not until you tie it in with Arthur Kessler or Kostler and others who talked about lobotomizing chemically by biowarfare techniques everyone except the elite those who must guide the ship must retain those abilities for survival whereas the public won't need them anymore because the state is managing everything for them that's happened with a lot of people with most people when you're continuously warned about major changes which will do with your primary needs then you should really be concerned very concerned and active not jumping into the well-prepared Opposition, which there always will be in this chessboard, by going off on your own tangent and not following leaders that are supplied to you. You see, if you look at the big Greek buildings, the Parthenon and others, and look at all the pillars that hold up the roof structure, they're designed in such a way that if one pillar is removed each one is weakened proportionally 
you take away two pillars and it's even more so exponentially weakened with each one and that is the game of the chessboard same thing long before the first move is made in a particular area off the agenda think tanks go through all possible reactions from the public and what types of groups would naturally form to oppose it and they train people in advance and get them ready to be your leaders then they make the move then the reaction comes and suddenly the well-funded and well-trained leaders are there speaking for you the leaders always take you on a dance of a frenzied dance of terror fear and yet they say all the right things on your behalf at the same time yet gradually and bit by bit they come they'll bring you to compromise and compromise there's no such thing as a draw when you have compromised on a major principle you've actually given way and that's your first pillar being weakened it makes it easier for the next one to be brought down and the next and the next ancient sciences well understood well understood with the knowledge kept in archives where the occasional worker for this great work is allowed access for a specific function a task that this person will have to perform every night has his task you see when Brzezinski first mentioned the internet long before the public heard of it or had wind of it coming he talked about this communication system linking everyone to everyone and also did mention the fact that it would be much easier for those in power to keep track of everyone and then through the takeover or the creation of the major sites as the media had done before they could shape your opinions and bring you into the same new culture by giving you the new culture they create culture you see it's not a difficult thing to do if you're the only people a little group who are planning it because Joe, Joe Average doesn't plan the future tribal societies don't plan the future generally but you have peer people who do plan the future and how to not only alter culture but how to destroy the old in good building terminology and create the new and they called it the web for a very good reason because you get stuck on a web and isn't it interesting that the big ugly looking statue that's in the main hall at the Hague for the United Nations is a massive 
you walk underneath it, it's a black widow spider. Odd symbol for these characters. They're very strange with their symbols. It shows you something within, if you can call it a, a mind, that differs from the ordinary human. And maybe that's, that's what it is. When you take the humanity out of the human, what do you have? And underneath it, this metallic black, metallic, oh, cold looking structure. There's actually eggs. It's going to lay, you see. So it's a web and it's also a net. Now a net you cast on the waters and then you pull the drawstring when you're over enough fish. And they're caught in this pouch of netting. What do you do when you catch fish? Well, you eat them. What does a spider do when you're stuck on its web? These terms are not chosen blithely. They're chosen precisely. Just like language has been created to make it easier for them to shape your, your thoughts. So you have the web. And for the Americans, their main language alterationist, you might say, was Webster. Webster's Dictionary. The precision of the system staggers the mind until you realize with unlimited financing and think tanks, countless think tanks, working, always working on the future with its own little chessboard in its little area. It's not so difficult after all. Especially when they've created generations to believe in experts. You can't think for yourself, the expert knows best. The expert convinced women in the 1950s that the powdered milk you buy for baby's bottles was far superior than Mother Nature. Not only that, and here's the vain part, you see, which they knew would work, it will help stop sagging breasts. And people believed it because it was repeated by doctors and experts. Even though the, the baby needs mother's milk to help its immune system develop. Very important part. Of course, they, they would see at the top, well, they just made a mistake, you see. And, well, it's strange they made the mistake after they talked about having to kill off people and had meetings about it. And they talked about making people prone to disease and how, how could they possibly alter the human structure to make them more susceptible to disease. This has all been discussed. The real world, this one that this reporter I just uh, mentioned, who has read his lines to us, really scripted by the same old school, the specialists in that particular area, didn't deviate from Huxley's talk at all and as I say didn't mention the causes of anxiety 
in this society because in this society especially since they've broken down the family unit and even the village unit at one time was strong at one time they've got to where they wanted to be and that is where government can talk directly down to you the individual without anyone standing in its way but it also means there's no one around to help you when you fall on hard times they don't want interference they want they want you to be at their mercy and at one time towns and villages would stand together and help each other that was the human thing to do always down through time and yet we saw when the hurricane hit New Orleans or some say it was steered in and which I'm more prone to think is probably true we saw that people people falling off their roofs into the water and FEMA stopped neighbors from going to their aid this is incredible that they got away with that and people are missing the point when you're forbidden to help someone or save their life only the experts are allowed you're in big trouble big trouble so the monsters at the top create anxiety they create a system where you feel unsafe helpless and more most importantly you feel alone that's intentional this is psychological warfare par excellence all designed all talked about all discussed and now implemented if you fall in hard times today your neighbors probably won't come to your aid what they will do is advise you to go to the welfare office pick a number and become completely dehumanized and humiliated in the process in Britain it crept out eventually this is the time of the 70s when it really deindustrialized and and then later Maggie Thatcher came in and talked about the welfare system and how a generation would, would never see work in their lifetime so just get used to it it came out that these concrete grey buildings with the battleship grey paint inside where you took a number and sat down and waited and waited and waited while these steely-eyed lobster creatures behind the desks you know the government civil servants who are not very civil would eventually call your name the paint inside even the paint see nothing nothing is there by chance even the battleship grey they had found to be the most depressing color it causes a mental depression that was chosen deliberately and I think it was a man alive expose talked about that so it's not bad enough you've been kicked and you're down they still try to put you off from claiming that to keep you alive these pittances at the time they gave the people to keep them alive 
They still try and put you off from coming in. That's how much these people who want to bring mental health care in to everyone, to manage your life for you, that's how much they care about you. These same people are in charge, you see. Have they had a change of heart? Maybe it's going to be a New Year's resolution and they're going to suddenly change and be human. But I rather doubt that. I rather doubt that. The agenda for the 21st century put out by the United Nations has to be read by everyone who's sentient and who still has a survival instinct left in them because the whole agenda is pretty well stuck in there. The habitat areas, the controlled society, no private property, no cars, no vehicles, a more advanced type of Soviet system. You'll need passes to go anywhere. Mind you, with your brain chip, you couldn't really, you wouldn't even need a pass. It'll just program you. Once that's done, you will no longer be you. It'll be sold as the most incredible thing since sliced bread. And all the youngsters will want it unless you warn them. Because once everyone has it, or enough have it, the, the, the big switch is pulled. And the real function will kick in. All society, down through this civilization system, is run by ritual. Rituals for everything. Because when you study any tribe at any time in history, they all have their natural developed rituals. And those who control us understand that and they give us rituals. And they kept talking about virtual reality. The five points going on to the six points. V, one, six. You're left with a form of ritual. VI ritual. The six will be the completion. And no more problems. Isn't it amazing that even the police ultimately won't be necessary because no one can do anything wrong. Even if they wanted to or could even think about doing it, which they won't be. <laughs> so even they'll be out of a job. They'll be chipped like everyone else. In a step-by-step -step phase. But they'll have to show us little miracles at first, you see, to make it more appealing. And how Joe Bloggs here was suicidal, and now he's got a chip, and now he's as happy as a lark. He sings all day, and and works on a farm looking out a buyer, just happy as a you-know-what and what. Because in his head, he's, he's Moonraker, he's, he's out in space somewhere, doing amazing things. And this is the sort of way it will be played to the public. And the control freaks will all be on board, on board the pirate ship. 
for controlling society and controlling their children until enough have the chip and the real purpose kicks in. Can you imagine the long, long-term planning all of this has taken? Intergenerationally. Just like building the ancient cathedrals or the middle-age cathedrals of the big builders. Because wherever the civilization went, they had massive building projects. And then the introduction of money and taxation to pay for it all, which was just to get your labor back from you. And those cathedrals in, in Europe took generations, sometimes five to seven generations of stonemasons to complete. And through wars and plagues and famines and everything else, the construction went on. Somehow the money always was found because they never changed their plans. They had their priorities in all eras and all times. Just like regardless if it costs $3 trillion for for the takeover of the Middle East or at least Iraq, it doesn't matter because they just print it up anyway and pass the tab on to the taxpayer and take it back off union labor. That's all it is. That's all it is. It wouldn't matter if it was $20 trillion. And I'm sure three trillion is only a fraction of Halliburton's share in it all. That Hall again, hey, boy, that sunny boy. We live in a world far deeper than the one I am talking about here. Multi-layered. Scientifically designed. And the only science you really need to control people Really, up until now anyway, is simply the science of the mind. And the sciences that even the ancient Greeks talked about when it came to controlling people, manipulating people, using people. We put this little boy scout called Freud back into school because we were way, way beyond that in the understanding of human nature. Way beyond it. Some of it leaked out, some of it couldn't quite grab all of it and stuff it into the archives for their own little secret agendas. But people should study it and find just how much they knew. They know they can count on every boy or every girl going through the same phases. Look at the marketing industries and see, they get taught this too, of course. They exploit children of any age group. It's a multi-multi-billion dollar industry every year worldwide. The exploitation of even toddlers and how to manipulate them to demand what they want. And it's the same all down through life, through every age group, because they know what you'll be feeling at 20, what you'll want at 25, 30, 40, and 50, and 60, etc. Male and female, and have tailored for, for either and all those in between. scientifically designed totalitarian system up until today there has always been teachers 
of wisdom. Who could teach on a one-to-one basis? And that's why knowledge perhaps is here today. But we're approaching a time of the grand finale of this phase of it. Where simply one-to-one isn't enough. Because time is running out for the generations. We'll talk about this and, and more on upcoming shows. I hope I won't keep you tonight, so long tonight because I'm sure you're, you're all getting over your, your um, excessive eating and some parting, I'm sure, too. For some and now we're into reflective time because we do go with the seasons and the old year passes away with all that happened within it the good times and the bad so I wish you all the best and for me and my dog Hamish it's good night and me your God, who's risen again, go with you. I've been lately thinking about my lifetime, all the things I've done, how it's been. I can't help believing in my own mind I know I'm gonna hate to see it end I've seen a lot of sunshine Slept out in the rain Spent a night or two all on I've known my lady's pleasures, had myself some friends, spent time with you. Oh